Welcome to the Learning Languages and Society with Gabby podcast, where it's all about the fascinating world of languages and culture. Let's rock. Hi, everybody. My name is Gabby, and today we're going to talk about an interesting yet controversial subject. I recently spoke to an acquaintance of mine who happens to be Italian, specifically from Catania, Sicily, about a linguistic and social aspect of Catalonia, which I always found to be true and interesting. This is a controversial subject for many, but as I have come to realize, there is always a modicum of truth to be found in controversies, and why not, sometimes there is even a treasure of wisdom to be found in social and linguistic controversies such as this one. Well, my acquaintance moved a year ago to Barcelona. He doesn't speak Spanish yet very well, but he hasn't failed to notice that there is something off-putting about customer service here, you're right? Specifically in Catalan small businesses. So I'll tell you what's going on. So what is this, you might wonder? Well, he says that whenever he goes to buy food, for example, uh, food to take away from any of those smaller family-run businesses which have small pre-cooked and prepared dishes to take away, well, he encounters the same problem. He goes like this. It goes like this. He first enters a shop and queues up in silence while he looks at the food. Uh, while he looks at the food and display to choose from. So when it is his turn to order, he smiles and proceeds to try to order a dish from the employee. Okay, he realizes right away that his lack of command in Spanish and Catalan deems him as a very unattractive customer. All right, possibly regarded as a tourist. <laughs> which is a very unpopular thing to be around here, okay? You don't want to be a tourist. Now, the fact that he cannot read the room yet, that is the fact that he cannot understand the local social clues in order to know what is actually going on in the room in a social sense, that is, he cannot read between the lines, that makes him stand out from the crowd in a bad way, unfortunately. Well, we could say that there is some prejudice here, I guess. The employee at the counter would typically look at him with disdain and with a grin in their face and keep on talking to the other employee who is probably standing next to next to him or her, right? Instead of paying attention to my to my friend, to my acquaintance, to to see what he wants to order, right? So the fact that my friend is incapable of reading the social situation correctly and adjust his behavior and tune his language skills in order to get his food in public makes him feel rejected very often. And this isn't just a linguistic matter, but it is rather a social linguistic matter, kind of. So, but what is it exactly? Is it an example of xenophobia? I mean, it can't be racism for the man in question is Caucasian. You could say he looks Mediterranean just like any other Spaniard, I guess. So it must be xenophobia, right? But what is xenophobia? What's this word? Well, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, xenophobia is the fear and hatred of strangers or foreigners 
or of anything that is strange or foreign, including a foreign culture or accent, etc. Okay, interesting stuff. So anything that is that seems to be foreign or strange or different uh, would be a reason for somebody to reject uh, this person, right? So that would be xenophobia. Now, is it true that speaking Catalan takes you further in the eyes of, of the locals or of the local population? Well, I would definitely say yes with capital letters after living here for 20 years. <laughs> How true is it that those small businesses wish to cater only for locals? Uh, well, hmm, that's an interesting question. Well, very true in my experience, I would say. I don't know if it's the uh, it's just a wish to cater only for locals, but it's rather the predisposition to to do something genuine in Catalan for Catalans, right? To to do something that expresses kind of a uh, a sentimental or traditional cultural value, rather than just doing something generic for everybody. Okay. Now, is it a good business idea? I don't think so. <laughs> but hey, if you wish to preserve the identity of the districts, of the distinct districts of the city, this is probably good mandatory linguistic restrictions, right? Kind of like you should speak the language perfectly and read the room perfectly in order to have some kind of a VIP treatment or something, which is what my... My Italian friend or acquaintance is not getting in these given situations. Okay, now let's let's go back to the story though. <clears throat> Only when my friend realizes he's not being well catered for, he's not being well treated in a way, he kind of decides just to leave the shop and look for food elsewhere. So just goes to a different place, a different market, restaurant whatever. He feels disrespected. He feels like he's been forgotten or invisible, as he said to me. And he feels a slap of indifference right across his face. So that's another one. There you go, indifference. Why is he perceiving in the air that he doesn't fit? Why? He speaks enough to order food, so that shouldn't be a problem. He doesn't get those sort of responses in McDonald's, let's say. After all, it is a business, right? And I guess, presumably, they want customers, right? Mm, I don't know. Ideally, they would, would they would want customers who sort of speak the language <laughs> and who happen to be just like them, right? So this is a way to reinforce uh, the local culture or community in a way, I guess. I've heard about this same uh, argument in many different places across the world so this isn't something new it doesn't I, I don't I don't hear this for the first time for sure okay I would like to put a reference frame to his experience and essentially give you an example of why he might be onto something after all why he might be experiencing something that is uh, utterly true in a way right it's very hard to grasp you cannot it's not tangible it's not like you can uh, sort of uh, pinpoint it and say this is this is exactly what it is, right? This is what this is what's uh, bothering me. How I'm being treated in this given shop 
because it's just so subtle, right? It's so, so subtle that it just comes and goes inadvertently, but you can tell that it was there somehow, you know? Like it kind of like a wind that blows in your uh, in your face, in your hair, and, and slightly makes it move, but it's just not enough to kind of say, yes, this is it. You know, my hair... My hair kind of moved a little bit because of this wind. You know, you can't just really blame it on something, so to speak. Okay, <clears throat> I'm just going to tell a story about this social linguistic thing, which I found, which I find really interesting. Uh, I worked many years in the harbor of Barcelona. When I was younger, I worked in a Catalan family-run business, we had a few boats which would tour tourists around the port and along the coastline of Barcelona. So I worked as a tour guide in this in this company, and I would uh, very often have to sell tickets as well to uh, tourists and and people in general who wanted to to go join us to do the tours. And sometimes, eventually, I would. Uh, obviously go on the boats and talk to them and so on. So when I started working there, I noticed uh, a lot of local families uh, would come to take their children uh, on the smaller tours with us, especially on Sundays. It had been a family tradition for hundreds of families, of Catalan families, since uh, 1892 when the company was first founded. Uh, most of the families would speak exclusively Catalan and likewise would indirectly demand employees to speak to them back in Catalan, which kind of makes sense, right? Since we are in Catalonia. Now, that was a huge unspoken rule, too. It was understood, and it had been that way for more than 100 years, that if they were going to talk to you in Catalan, you would obviously have to answer in Catalan so that obviously reinforces the idea of uh, creating and enhancing the power of our community uh, and, and its traditions through through culture, through language, which is basically another way of expressing uh, culture, right? Okay, so obviously people would greet you and talk to you in a favorable and familiar manner if you spoke Catalan. Uh, the customers or the families would feel like they were in a safe space, so to speak. So understanding this truth made me realize how history sculpts the hearts and lives of people through generations, how in the times of the Spanish dictatorship, Catalan was prohibited and it was the language spoken only within family settings so you could not speak it in public places out there in the streets. So how polarized and politicized this society in, the, in respect to linguistic matters has become is still, still mind-blowing to me in a way. Interestingly, the fact that a newcomer speaks Catalan is not enough. A person who values this language and its social and cultural heritage, I have found, will indeed integrate the society primarily by means of speaking the language, but there has to be a cultural transformation as well in the person, uh, which is not readily available or that is not acquired in a classroom or academic setting but rather that is or can only be understood and properly comprehended through vital experience. 
And this is the key, gentlemen. It is the emotional experience in a linguistic environment which leaves an emotional imprint in the hearts of those who speak the language. So that's that's an interesting point right there that you have to take into account. It is the emotional experience in a linguistic context which 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 gives you that emotional imprint in your heart or which leaves that emotional imprint in your heart uh, so that whenever you speak that language or whenever you hear that language, you associate it with a an emotional part of your of your heart of your brain as well of your life. Now we must understand that languages do not grow in a vacuum but grow in cultural spaces. In other words, there is knowledge to be found and learned when you live in a foreign country that can only be learned there in that specific place. You can do that by means of befriending a local and making him or her become your best friend, or even better, to make a closely knit circle of tight circle of friends with all the emotional upheavals that having close friendships like that entail. We need to laugh and cry in that language. That's what I mean to say. You need to really experience the culture and the language with uh, your emotions out there, you know, naked emotions out there, and really feel what it is like to live in that language. Not just to speak it and communicate, but to truly actually live it. You need to truly live it in order to make it truly live within your heart, kind of. That's kind of the idea. So what does that mean? Well, it essentially means that you're not only to speak the language with a 100% accuracy, but understand and commit to the culture wholeheartedly. Okay, here you have, again, <clears throat> a little backstory of how the reverse can be true too. So how does someone who speaks Catalan as their mother tongue face the disintegration of his language and its revival decades later by means of migration, right? So I'm going to talk about my dad's case. My dad is uh, Catalan. He is a Barcelona man born and bred. He met my mother writing letters to each other via a pen pal service very much in vogue at the time. So this is how people would... Uh, connect with others, uh, with other people who lived overseas, especially if they wanted to, uh, if a man wanted to befriend a a woman with uh, the, you know, with the, with the idea of something more than just friends in the future. So that was a way to do it. And my, my father had always been interested in um, South American women. He liked them and Central, Central American women as well. So he started exchanging letters with my mom, okay? So they eventually wanted to meet each other. And so, uh, well, my, my, my father brought my mother to Barcelona and married her at the Corpus Christi Church in September 1969 in the Gracia district. Now, six months later after their marriage, uh, my mom realized she did not like living here. She was very homesick and decided it was time for her to come back to Colombia to be with her family. She was pregnant with my elder sister, 
And so my father basically followed her and settled in Colombia with my mother and his family-in-law. So my dad wanted to be with uh, my mom on, and obviously, you know, his daughter uh, as well. So my siblings and me were born and grew up there until a huge financial crisis erupted and we had we had to come back, as it were, to the roots around 20 years ago. And so we we all moved back to Spain. When I was a kid, as I developed a liking for foreign languages, while growing up in Colombia, I would ask my dad to speak to me in Catalan. He would teach me some basic vocabulary and phrases that I would retain for a few days and then forget. I would occasionally hear him talk to Gloria, his sister, my aunt, in Catalan over the phone. So there you go. That was the only contact that I really had with the language back then. My dad was born in 1947 in Barcelona on Abella Street, number six, second floor, first door. <laughs> now that's very specific, very close to the Cathedral of Barcelona. He was actually baptized in the cathedral as his mother knew a lady who belonged to the upper class who helped her take my dad and get him baptized there. His mom, in exchange, would sometimes take care of the carving of the Santo Cristo de Lepanto in a chapel of the cathedral. Right? So that was that's the story right there. My dad's mom became pregnant from this wealthy man who was my granddad. He was originally from another town called Santa Coloma de Fernes, and he already had his own family. So this man had his own family, but he had an affair with my dad's mom. My granddad, so this man, he owned several antique shops in Barcelona. Okay, I don't know if they're, they still exist or not. They might be. Who knows? Needless to say, this man never left his own family for my grandmother, who was just an affair to him. But on his behalf, I will say that he still offered to give my, my dad his last name. But my grandmother refused and, and he wouldn't take it. Okay. So his mom couldn't take care of him. So my grandmother could not take care of my, of my father because she was a single mother as a result of this affair. So she sent my dad when he was still a baby to a place called Jardins de la Maternitat on Las Cortes Avenue with what I believe are called in English Sisters of Charity or Nuns of Charity, which was kind of a foster home or orphanage for children with no parents or for single moms who had to work and had no money to support their children. Okay, so the latter was my, my dad's case. He lived there till he turned 10, and then between the ages of 10 and 16, he was sent to a type of religious foster home called Yars Anna Girundella de Mundet, Casa de la Caritat, in La Valle Lebron, with the Salesian priests. Okay, so as you can see, it's all a religious, a religious thing. My my dad went to Colombia and had to learn a new variety of Spanish when he turned uh, 22, I believe, and he got married to my mom and then later moved there. So he had to learn a new variety of Spanish and adapt himself to a new culture, which isn't a negative thing per se. It's actually enriching, but he had to lose his accent 
in order to fit in the Colombian society and gain new customs and, and ways of behaving in society as it was expected back then, okay? So there you go. That's a reverse case of my, of my Italian friend right there. Now, four decades later, <laughs> he returned to his native city. So he returned to Barcelona and had a reverse culture shock as it happens, right? So once you get adapted to the new culture and you live there uh, for many, many years, and, and then suddenly you have to come back to your native city or the city where you were born and grew up, well, you realize that you have to kind of go through this kind of a... I believe it's called reverse culture shock or something, right? When you when you come back to what you used to always know, and and relearn again all the uh, all the cultural sort of uh, customs and 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 come back to who you were somehow when you left uh, when you were younger. So he had to come back to his original way of speaking Spanish, so and regain fluency in Catalan as well, which admirably he did do. In the world of languages, everything is possible. I've I've learned. He not learned. He not just learned uh, again his linguistic skills, but he was fully employed and worked for another decade till retirement, which is which is kind of kind of amazing. So as you can see, so much like my Italian acquaintance, my dad had to regain his original Spanish accent. And he also had to hone his linguistic skills in his mother tongue too. So he had to practice enough and remember Catalan again. So that's that's after living abroad for over 40 years, to, which is a really long time. But but he, he did it. He made it. So this shows that people not only have to learn a new language, but have to live in the place to understand what is culturally admissible and even desirable in every given situation, in a specific or concrete time. It's the unspoken rule of languages, I guess. Anyway, thank you very much for having put up with me, and please don't forget to subscribe. Bye-bye.